Hey, welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I'm loving today's conversation. It's a long time coming because I've known today's guest for many, many years, have gotten to see her in action, have seen the incredible evolution of her career. She has such an empowering and encouraging message about failing and coming out on the other side, as you'll hear in her story. Diane Connolly is the Director of Performance and Learning at Mount Tear Farms. She's responsible for providing strategic direction for integrated talent management programs for 10,000 employees in three states. Some even refer to her as the Rocky of coaching, and I think you'll see why. But what you really need to know about Diane is how she learned from what she calls an epic failure that she considers the pivotal moment in her career and the dark night of her soul, as she'll talk about. Through that situation, she questioned everything, her intelligence, her value, her integrity. So listen in as we talk about all of that in such an honest way, which is so good and so refreshing. I'm so grateful for her vulnerability. As she says, as lonely and as hard as transitions can be, what's waiting on the other side can be worth that struggle. Check it out. I have admired your work for so long uh, when you brought the leadership challenge to Savas. And I always thought, wow, I would love to be able to facilitate like you. Oh, well, it's a mutual admiration society we have here because right back at you, my friend. You have a great story to share as I teed up in the intro. So to provide some context for the listeners, what got you to where you are today? So I am Director of Learning and Performance for Mount Air Farms, and I'm on the East Coast, which I never thought I would do in my career. And I love the learning and performance space, and part of that is being a coach. What really got me here is some great work that I did and our company did with Savas, which is a global IT infrastructure company in St. Louis. And we really did bring in an integrated talent management program, and that's where my love for it started. I did have an opportunity to further along in my career partner with a global engineering company. And I really thought, Andrea, that that was going to be the company of the rest of my career. I was so excited because they had such a strong mission in the world, and I really admired the men and the women who worked there. And early in my career, I was with Baker Hughes, which is an oil field service company. And I really appreciated all those technical people doing technical work. That isn't my forte, but I could certainly admire it in them. And honestly, I really came into this opportunity thinking I was going to ride in with my red cape and my Supergirl outfit and bring my whole toolkit and really help them because they didn't seem to be very sophisticated in the integrated talent management arena. So when I say integrated, I mean career development, career ladders, performance management, succession planning, competencies, all of those things that we can bring together to help create a really effective organization. And so I had very extensive interviews, I think three or four rounds before we signed the deal and I go in I really thought I was doing the right things right. And what I came to understand is that I was an epic failure. And the reason why I failed is I misunderstood who the key stakeholders were 
and I really misunderstood what behavior norms were sacred. And that is because I came in with an internal mindset. And an internal mindset, I'm looking at what I need, what I value, what I can bring to the table and gift onto you. I'm not saying, hey, with an external mindset, what do you need? What do you value? And how can I partner with you, be of help to you? And so through that experience, it rocked my world. I have worked so hard in my career. I was the person that left university after a year and a half because I didn't know what I wanted to do. My best friends are a teacher and accountant, and they always knew that's what they were going to be. And so I started working at that year and a half out of school full time. And through that, I got my bachelor's, I got my master's, I've got several really great certifications that mean a world to me. And so failing is not really what I do. I power through and I love to learn. And so I'm always taking workshops. I'm reading white papers. I follow really great thought leaders. And I always bring that in and keep it in my toolkit saying someday I might need that or refer to it. And so failure was just not what I do. And here I am failing and it really rocked me to my core. I had to step back and say, whoa, what did I miss so badly? And honestly, it was coming in with that needs assessment already done from the interviews. I didn't stop to say, hey, I think you're my key stakeholder. Is that right? And what do you need? And where are you in this journey of where you want to be for org effectiveness? And hey, I have a couple of tools that can help you. But I have to remember that there's a corporate function and they have an agenda. And so me doing in my own little world in a business unit didn't help much to gain trusted relationships with corporate when it's like, who are you and what are you doing when we already have this plan to roll out in six months? So it was just really an opportunity to stand back and say, okay, if you're going to start in a new organization, especially if you're coming from outside of industry, you have to do that needs assessment from inside once you're there. And you got some great context from the interview. So it's leveraging that and continuing to seek to understand once you get in. Exactly. I created the agenda in my head from those interviews because I connected with the business unit leader. I connected and really understood where she wanted to go. And I thought, yes, I've got this and I know how to do this and I have all the tools and we will rock and roll. And so it was really not checking back in. It wasn't going back and saying, hey, this is what I thought I heard. This is what I hear still today. Here's what I think we can do. Does that make sense? Does that meet your expectation? And so it was really not having that level of dialogue. And then, of course, the day-to-day business, when you're new, trying to get up to speed with the rhythm and review of reporting and presentations. And so it was epic. But it threw me into what I call the dark night of the soul. And that is when you have trouble seeing the value that you bring and you have trouble thinking that this can get better. And it's very, very dark. And I am so grateful that I had really great friends and colleagues and an amazing husband who listened and 
could say, hey, it is going to get better. And look at your track record. And is there anything in that track record that said this would have happened? And so I was so, so grateful. But what's more important is I really try to help other people go through this in a different way. And I really believe that competencies are a great tool to help give you those mile markers to say, hey, in our world, these are the behaviors and expectations through competencies. And so I do work on competencies and I help organizations think about those competencies, what really represent the values that you want people to assimilate quickly. And then I do really spend a lot of time helping people through transitions because it's lonely, it's scary. And if your self-confidence has been rocked, it's really hard to navigate a transition successfully. Well, and no doubt this experience has really equipped you to show up with so much empathy and compassion as you're helping people through those transitions. Oh, absolutely. And my heart goes out to them because I know how hard it is. Can you imagine if you were a single mom and you all of a sudden have to go through a transition like this where it wasn't the right fit and now you got to go back in the market and your self-confidence is hit? How do you go through that? And so this is why I think forming communities and cohorts, whether it's friends and family, I think it's so important because it is life draining if you're alone and it is scary. Well, and I want to go back and I want to dig into some of the scary. There are so many things about this story that I appreciate. First of all, I appreciate your honesty because it is a relatable story. And particularly when you talk about showing up as a super girl with the red cape. Because we all naturally want to add value. We want to bring perspective. We want to be the savior. And that's what I hear in this situation. And actually that drive, that's what ultimately really tripped you up because you came in making some assumptions through the interview process. Absolutely. And moving fast and not stopping to look for those culture markers and then those key stakeholders. It was a matrix organization, and so even though I was in the business unit, I had a tie to the corporate, and I didn't nurture the corporate. I was moving fast and thought I was doing all the right things. That's really good. So moving too fast, not paying attention to the culture markers, the key stakeholders were critical in that, so not connecting with them. So when you call it an epic failure, what happened? What were the results that lead you to say that? We reached a point where we said, hey, we don't think that this is working. And can you agree that it's not working? And we agreed to part ways. And I have never had that in my career. And I'm a person that I want to please. And I will have to say I'm dancing around the word ego, but it is ego, right? It came in with this thought that I'm going to really help you and you need help. And it was not having that sensitivity to the history and to those relationships. It was all those things. What I'm hearing listening to you, it's like it's taking on an attitude of humble confidence because you had some great experiences leading up to that. And so it's that and this seeking to understand, this curiosity, looking at those culture markers. It's not negating all of the good things you're bringing and approaching it with a humble spirit, an open spirit. Yes, absolutely. And so when I started with Mount Air Farms, I wanted to bring all those experiences and say, okay, 
I had a great leader that recruited me and I loved her. And so we agreed that take that first month and meet as many people as you can. Second month, dive a little bit deeper and ask a lot of questions. And third month, let's talk about where the vision is and what you see and what you hear and what you want to come forward and propose. And so it was really understanding who those key stakeholders were and then building those relationships. Yeah. And how do you determine that? How do you identify, especially in a large organization, who the key stakeholders are? Yeah. And that's where I really trusted my leader. And so she and I had the initial, here's level one stakeholders, here's level two. And then going through the normal functions of the business, my finance partners that work with me on my budget and help keep me on track every month with a big budget. Those are my key stakeholders as well, as me as a functioning leader and then as the service I provide to the business. And so my internal customers, and so if I'm developing a new program, like I have a new management development program, we'll deliver in two weeks. And it's going to those users of the program and saying, hey, this is our proposed agenda. Is this going to meet the competency need that you have in the business? You need people that can develop others, who can have a constructive conversation, who can deliver feedback, and then help people grow their career. Does that make sense if we focus on that? And then you get buy-in, and then they're more willing to absolutely send people to the program. Yeah, because you've had conversations. You've identified their needs, and you're aligning everything you're doing with that. I love that simple breakdown. So month one was a focus on relationships, identifying the key stakeholders, and I love the leveling of them. That's really cool. Month two then was diving in to the questions that you have and the curiosity of, okay, what am I learning here? And then it wasn't until month three that you said, okay, now what? What do we do with all of that? Right. And what I really took from the whole experience too is maybe come with two proposals and break the two proposals down to give leaders options. And so that's been really key, I think, is to understand that leaders they want to have options, especially if you're going to take them from where they had a comfort zone and then take them into a brave new world. I go from a very finite group of people having access to Monterey University and then all of a sudden taking them to 200 and then to 2000. You know, that's big change. And when you have big change, giving options, I find is working better for us. It's great. That just makes people a little more comfortable, doesn't it? Doesn't feel so forced. The other thing, Diane, that you've talked about, you mentioned paying attention to culture markers. And before when we've talked about this, you've described this knowing what cultural elements are sacred. And it's such a good point that I hadn't thought of. So talk a little bit about that. How do you identify those culture elements that are sacred? And how did that trip you up not doing that? You know, what I counsel people now is to watch closely, especially in that first two weeks, is to think, are we a phone culture, an in-person culture, email culture? When we have conversations, are they conversational or do you get down to business right away? Do you have healthy debate or is debate more done one-on-one -on -one rather than a meeting? It's all those things that new people learn as they go. And then I go to what are the stated values and what are those core competencies if the company has them? And then what is that mission statement and vision? And I look for markers in there. And if that's too vague, which in a lot of cases they are, then it's talking with leaders and say, hey, what advice do you have for someone that wants a long career 
with our organization, what do you have to know? What is the download on how you make this work? And so people are really generous with that when you ask that. Mm -hmm. How was that helpful? What does that do? Definitely it allows me to match up what I'm experiencing with what they're saying. And so it really helps me. So if I can say, hey, what should I be aware of? What are those things on how we maneuver with each other and get things done? What do I need to know? And then who do I need to know? And who do you joke around with? Who do you not? Who do you present with that asks a thousand questions? And who just wants the bottom line? Who wants detail and who doesn't? It's those things that you ask and people are very generous to offer their experiences. And I have been in companies that have the long-term employees. And so they have this great history knowledge that you can tap into, which I think is just brilliant. Absolutely. Well, and because you're building relationships, then those become advocates and allies and part of your support system as well. I just hear so much openness in that within the first couple of weeks, paying attention to what am I noticing around here that's going to be helpful to me and my interactions and my ways of working? Right. And so my VP, I would check in with her and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. With this group, I really could see this. Does that match your experience? She had about six or seven more months in the company than I did. And so we were able to have that strategic conversation in our one-on-ones to say, yeah, I'm seeing this. Did you see that? Or should I look at that a different way? We were really able to help each other through that. That's so good. Such good learnings, such good leadership lessons that are helpful to anyone coming into any new position or opportunity. Well, and so that's why you say transitions are so lonely and so hard, but the other side can be worth that struggle. I mean, you are leveraging this experience in everything you do today. Right. And, you know, I'm going to be facilitating this management development program, and I will talk with them about when you're onboarding new hires, how can you help them assimilate quicker and more effectively? And it's not always about the safety equipment, which is key in our industry. It's also about those cultural norms. And so if you have a specific expectation, share that in that first week to help people assimilate quicker. Yeah, clarity is kind. Brene Brown talks a lot about that. So, so good. Well, so you called this experience the dark night of your soul because of all the questioning that you did. You questioned everything. Yes. And one of the things that really got me through is I am a Christian. I do pray. So I would pray, but it was such a heartbreaking prayer. It's, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to talk to. Please guide me, God. Please, please, please. It was just, how do I help myself? And I'm a person. I can wallow, but I can wallow for a day, and then I got to go on. I can't stay down long. And this was such a weird spot for me. It was days of wallowing. It was a month of wallowing. One of the things I had an opportunity to do was to do some volunteer work with a thrift store in Kansas City, Blessings Abound Thrift Store. And what they would do is get really high-end donations and then put them in the store. And then we would sell to other people and all our money would go to help poverty in Kansas City. And so I love that mission and I love those people. And so to do volunteer work during that really helped me find myself again. 
and most of their volunteers were senior citizens who had a really great career. They're retired and they're still giving to their community. And so I love talking with them about their careers and about their retirement and how they're having a successful retirement. And so it was just really a great experience to give of myself when you feel so depleted. It's amazing how it pours back into you. Yeah, by giving, right? Like you got refilled as you were filling others' buckets. Absolutely. So it brought me to that core of this situation happened and do I want to do it over again? Yeah, I would love that opportunity because I would be so much smarter about it. But for the most part, I want to learn from it and then I want to help other people navigate it. Yes, and there's such a humble confidence in that. That's the thing I love. You didn't step away from your passion or your craft. You like, I'm going to use this to make me better going forward. Oh, I did question, like, am I burnt out? I questioned, oh, am I just done? Am I done, done, done? And should I become a coder? Should I do something else? And I have been doing some form of HR my whole career. I wouldn't know. It's part of my DNA. And so that would be cutting something out. Once I realized that, that was part of the past coming back is, okay, this is who you are. And yeah, you failed. And ego was a big part of why you failed. How can you mitigate that going forward? That's a really important point that I just want to highlight. It's very relevant to me right now. I had a couple of speaking engagements over the last couple of weeks that have not met my expectations. And I have found myself questioning, like, maybe I should just hang up my hat. I'm just not a good speaker. It's like, wait a second. I'm not going to let two (laughs) shitty performances define me, by golly. You are gifted, my friend. Our brains can play tricks on us. The devil will tell us all kinds of crazy lies about ourselves in those dark moments. Yes. And that is where I would get a daily inspiration on my email. And some days I lived for that. It was so important to get these little messages. I can't tell you how important they were. I journaled every morning, and I'm not a journaler, but I journaled what I was grateful for and then what my intention was for the day. And then I would look for that inspiration on my email. And it was so important. But everybody will be different, and other people will have other things that are important for them. Absolutely. But it's that reflection time, right, is key to identifying what it is for you. It's healing time. I think you have to be generous to yourself to say it was a healing. And you've got to find what will make the most impact for you during that time. Well, I am so grateful for your story and grateful for your honesty. It's a relatable story that no doubt our listeners can connect with. I know personally, I'm taking a lot away from this. And I think just the big thing being that On the other side of an epic failure is learning, is growth, is opportunity. I mean, a big part of where you are today is because of this situation. I mean, have you gotten to a point, like, are you grateful for it now? Like, will you ever be grateful for it? I am so grateful for the relationships that I was able to reach out to certain people. And I will be forever grateful for them for standing with me and listening. And they could call me night or day and I will do the same for them. So grateful for those people. So grateful for different people in the journey. Yeah. So epic failure coming out on the other side. 
that's the inspiration that I'm taking from this. So Diane, thank you so much. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, LinkedIn. And I have a fabulous LinkedIn network. Okay. Yeah. Lots and lots of followers. So Diane Connolly, C-O-N-N-O-L-L-Y. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. And I'm lifting you and this story up and no doubt so many good things to come. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.